Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Untying Knots. Now, because of a little screw up on my hand, my part, we've had to ex- make some adjustments to our name. So it is still Untying Knots. It's now Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. That's because I didn't, didn't do as much research as I should have done, and I discovered it then. In the meantime, I also want to remind everyone that this is not a place to consider you're getting therapy. We do strongly recommend that you speak with therapists in your area. We can speak to your specific issues and that this is for educational entertainment purposes only. So today on Untying Knots, I am here and with our with our wonderful guests, Monet Goldman, who is a Japanese Jewish American therapist and native of the San Francisco Bay Area, who is trained as a child and family therapist. And one of the tools is play when working with children. Monet felt a need to develop more ways to work virtually with their, his kids, and, and that included the area of video games. With the COVID and the shutdowns, this made this process that Monet had developed even more useful. Monet has been featured in the Washington Post for his work with kids working with Roblox, and overall, he works trying to help families change the stigma around the problematic associations with gaming. Welcome to Untying Knots, Monte, Monet. Uh, thanks, Perry, for the great introduction. I'm uh, happy to be here. I, I I think it's nice to meet another, uh, I guess, geek-themed fa- therapist who, um, you know, can invite me to talk about video game therapy without trying to maybe address the uh, the label of addiction or video mm-hmm. game addiction, you know, mm-hmm. very much. Um you know, pro gaming, health, maybe healthy gaming as, as a lifestyle balance could, could be more of a, a focus. But, yeah. Exactly. And especially now in the day where we have a billion dollar industry focused around video games, let alone the development of esports and the fact that in some ways this is getting just as large of events as you get with the Super Bowl depending mm-hmm. on what your field is. But before we get deeper into the gaming aspects, how did you become a therapist? Wow, great question. Um, you know, I've always wanted to be a therapist uh, in high school. You know, I, I, I think met, like many other Silicon Valley students, you know, I was taking all these AP classes, honor roll, and uh, the one class I didn't take that was an AP class or even in high school was psychology. But I found myself always going to the psychology section and um, stayed away from it just because I was told that I couldn't make a living out of it, that, you know, it was dead-end career. And so I kind of brushed it aside. But as I kind of got into, uh, you know, Cal Poly um, in the psych classes, I really grew to appreciate it and, and kind of learned that your, your job, your career is going to be, you know, majority of your life, even if it is eight hours a day, you're doing more than that. And so why not do it um, in, in something that can be creative, that can really uh, inspire you. And so, you know, I kind of made the plunge there once I was at that crossroad of, you know, do I go uh, down medicine, you know, med school, my, my 
brothers doing that. So, you know, the, I no longer have to carry that mantle, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I just figured, you know, what's the way I really want to help people. And, and I think being a therapist um, made the most sense to me. Beautiful, beautiful. Mind you, and when, when I was in close school, they didn't have a psychology class. I did work a bit as a peer counselor that wasn't wasn't exactly the experience I figured. And I think it was actually before I was ready for to be in this position that I am now. So it's amazing how those how the past and the present change us. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that, and as I said earlier, video games is a billion dollar industry out here that's generating a fair amount of jobs and a fair amount of interest and something that helped us for many of us get through the pandemics. But that, as we said, has come with the issue, like so many, with the issue of addiction, but just the aspect of how is it being also used to keep our mental health stable? Mm-hmm. So please yeah, enlighten. Well said. well said. Gosh. I mean, that's actually why I started gaming. I hadn't touched my uh, gaming PC in three years, you know, uh, because I was I was still busy uh, coaching like judo and wrestling and, and competing, uh, you know I was I've been a high school college you know wrestler um, judoka, and so I kind of continued that path. And then once COVID shut down, I didn't have that same outlet. Mm-hmm. It's a very unique outlet because it's like, well, what's the strategy? Where's the the intensity? Um, the the fun of it? And really, the only thing I could find were video games that could really immerse mm-hmm. myself into this. And so, you know, I fired up my PC uh, in May and uh, just started playing. And I just had this amazing, just therapeutic experience where, you know, for, for the half hour in that round, I forgot about all the COVID fears, all the, you know, fears related to my clients, you know, uh, what's going to happen to my family. Uh, so, so I realized, okay, if I'm benefiting from this, it's like an instant anti-anxiety, anti-depressive experience. Uh, this is happening for our kids that uh, we're trying to help. And so why not join in with them? And so by literally experiencing what they're experiencing, but then also applying my kind of therapeutic lens and really understanding, okay, this is how it can be helpful. This is how uh, we can kind of, I guess, combine uh, video games as a medium, as a space to also do the therapy that we've mm-hmm. been trained to do. Beautiful, beautiful. And I believe one of the most once uh, venues that you particularly like using lock is Robox. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how did that come into connecting into being this venue that allowed you to have this connection and also the connection when you're working with kids? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I've, I've known of Roblox for like, you know, uh, three, three, four years. So I, I started working uh, at, at the schools, um, say probably 2018. And the kids would tell me about it. And I, I didn't really care about it until, because uh, my games are, you know, World War II strategy games, you know, um, you know shooters, things like mm-hmm. that. Uh, and Roblox is a very, you know, uh, kid-friendly game and and it's 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 there are fun games um so when when people <clears throat> accuse me of like just wanting to play video games and i'm like no like i i do not want to play this game in my free time like i'm strictly doing it for the kids and then once i log off i, I play you know like call of duty or or something else but um you know it it started 
during the pandemic, um, all we had were, you know, phone sessions and it was, it was terrible. You know, I, I do a 10 minute phone call with a nine-year-old and, you know, we're, we just couldn't connect. And so uh, I just kind of asked her like, Hey, you know, what, what would you like to do? And she was like, well, you know, maybe we could play Roblox. I was like, well, I mean, I, I guess maybe and I was just all, all these things running in my mind. Like, you know, is this okay? What's the ethical legal stuff? You know, I, do I need to ask my supervisor? And then she, she fired up you know, her, her PC and, and invited me in. And, and then we had like an hour long session and, and it was phenomenal. I mean, she was showing uh, all her interests, all her like character developments, like uh, she started helping me. So you saw all mm-hmm. these like helping behaviors. You saw all this positive emotional expression, um, really great mm-hmm. communication, social skills. And th- those are the things we're trying to build. Mm-hmm. And so why not uh, do it within the game through play uh, together? Because that's, that's how kids learn is through play. Yeah. And I, I know I've listened to some other people who talk about the reminding people that kids don't tell, they show. Mm-hmm. So that aspect of the parent who's expecting us to uh, sit down and have a same type of discussion that they would have about what's going on in their marriage with a kid is like, that's not happening whatsoever. The kid is that that level of sophistication, that level of internal insight, which is just not there. It's what's being developed in the kid. Right. And it's much more easily for them to externalize that through the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, um, that, that sometimes is the tough part about being, you know, a child or, or play therapist is when you have the parental expectations of like, okay, sit down and, and talk about this. And, and I've had kids just be like, no, no, no. Like, just, you know, like mom, get out of the room. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so I, I think it's, it's funny because we, we put all this pressure on kids and, and then we, we have adult clients, too, who mm-hmm. also need, you know, um, help getting into session, you know, reducing that initial anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I think kids, kids kind of get a um, have a hard um, it's just a lot of obstacles and and trying to find what therapy is can be more difficult in some ways, mm-hmm. at least uh, for, for parents to understand. Mm hmm. Well, especially in some ways, because the parent probably feels un- disempowered. They don't know what's going on. They can't help their kid. They're expected to help their kid. And yet the kid can't actually tell them what's actually going on because the kid hasn't figured it out itself. Mm-hmm. But they can show it in the play, which is what we all were often taught with things like sandbox play. Yeah. I know I around the time that I had first met you and I was doing a little more research on this. I know I heard someone else who had done a YouTube talking about using um, Minecraft as a location as well. So can you speak to some of the experience you've had that beyond just Roblox? Absolutely. Um, Minecraft has been really interesting. Um, you know, there's, there's been opportunities to like maybe build physical representations of like emotion, you know, what they're feeling, even memories, you know, I'm, you know, I might prompt them like, okay, like maybe we can build something that like represents, you know, uh, a memory or like a feeling we had. And, and then they'll, they'll have those tools because a lot of the kids, you know, if, if it was outside of a software program, 
would have a hard time creating something accurate, but then you just had within the game, you know, you can just pick and choose and, and build and, and craft uh, with, with uh, kind of without needing programming skills or art skills. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's been a great accessible way uh, for kids and adults too, to really kind of show communicate what's going on with them. Yeah. If you can, without breaking confidentiality, can you give us a small story about how one of those situations, much like you did with the other one who said, who introduced you to Roblox? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I've, I've also done groups. So in say a group, um, you know, I, I started, started with that simple prompt, like, okay, guys, like, let's all, you know, try and create uh, something that represents a memory or a feeling. And, and so one, one kid was, you know, joking around and he was like taking us over to this like tiny, tiny little box. Like, what's that? And he's like, oh, that's how much happiness I have inside of me. And so, you know, sometimes it's a joke. Sometimes it's also like serious, you know, humorous way of showing like he's feeling sad. And then we, we drove over to another wall created by this girl. And um, the way it was painted, you know, the, the color scheme, you know, a lot of uh, red and brown and black and you know, then they started talking about this kind of traumatic memory um, from uh, witnessing some some violence, and it just wasn't really talked about, other than from that kind of uh, exercise. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this was somebody who's who's been in therapy um, for for a long time, and then had this opportunity, this new creative way to to express something that they hadn't been able to express for, for a long time. Beautiful. What advice would you give for those that are hesitant and feeling like they aren't comfortable with doing video game work? I mean, what we, when we deal with uh, therapy and we're thinking about it and you think about some of the people who've done this, who do this as a second and maybe even a third career, they're not as tech savvy or interested in, using technology. And let's be frank, as I know, I, when I was at the agency I used to be at, uh, one of the things I said to so many of them who are dealing with kids is like, you need to learn what's going on in these video games, these places. These are the stories of today's. These are the, not just Cinderella and Snow White, like we see with Disney and so forth. Gears of War or Mario Kart <laughs> yeah. or... Um, um, or even Naruto and so forth yeah. that have video games, if not just uh, so forth. They all have a very interesting story and richness to their world. My advice was always, okay, you can Wikipedia the game to get the synopsis about what the story is. You can go to YouTube and put in playthrough or walkthrough, whatever the name of the game is, and watch some of these videos of people playing the game just to get a sense of what your client's doing. Just because you don't have aren't comfortable picking up a controller doesn't mean you can't know what's going on with these things. And that becomes some place that you can talk with your clients about. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even, even though I grew up with watching Dragon Ball Z and, um, you know, wow, Gears of War is a phenomenal game. Just brought me back. Um, e- even for me who grew up watching anime, um, sometimes I'll do a quick, you know, Google search synopsis and, and that's kind of, like your entry point into psychoeducation around anger. It's like, mm-hmm. boy, Goku's going into super Saiyan mode. Like what's, what's happening there for him. Mm-hmm. You know, he just saw his friend die, you know, 
how is anger maybe even beneficial here? But then also, how is he using that anger? You know, what kind of values uh, are driving him there? And so, mm-hmm. you know, you do get a lot of, you know, opportunities to talk about philosophy. Um, what's, what's been really helpful uh, when, when I didn't know was um, a um, highly recommend geek therapy as the Facebook group. Um, there's the uh, Let's Play Therapy Institute. And they actually have trainings on how to use video games and therapy. Uh, you can actually get CUs. Um, so, you know, they're, they're a wonderful team. And um, I also, um, you know, do, do some trainings and consultations. Um, you know, on a whim, I also created just a little tutorial on how to use Roblox. Um, and so I, I'll probably start creating more videos now that I have more time. Um, so I do have my own YouTube channel and right now it's only just one video, but, um, you know, I've, uh, had people ask me if I wanted to create a course and things like that for now, I just, just kind of enjoy showing what I do and, um, presenting it, uh, through video or even through, uh, my blog. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's another way to, um, keep in touch and, and learn more about it. Oh, we'll definitely cover some of that at the end. I think one of the other things, as you mentioned, was talking about helping families shift around the stigma around video games and just playing games in some regards. What's What have you encountered there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I don't know if it's a uniquely Silicon Valley thing, but there just seems to be such a huge focus on, you know, uh, your job, your work, um, education getting you know highly competitive um out here but uh there's there's not a lot of emphasis on play or uh self-care or you know recovery uh so you know i I think i had the benefit of having a dad who also played games so you know he he's a gamer He, he he actually plays more than i do now that he's retired you know, sometimes I'll see him on Blizzard and I'll see his username <laughs> and he'll be playing like StarCraft or something. So, um, you know, really, and, and there's a lot of studies that show like gaming can, can help, um, you know, reduce probability of getting Alzheimer's just from the, the brain activity, the stimulation. Um, but uh, I would say, I think the importance of play is it's really um, not recognized I think kids really need play to, to process difficult things. Um, also to, um, you know, sort out those difficult emotions uh, and adults need play too. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, we we're going through a lot of burnout and fatigue because we're, we're not having fun. And, and that was the main thing when I started doing the video and th- therapy thing is like, you know, it's so hard to have fun in at the height of the pandemic like let's let's have fun like that in itself was such a hard thing to Mm -hmm. to happen so with that being said what do you think are some of the things that you definitely want people to take away at least on the video game front from all of this and especially that importance of play because yeah we're both geeks We or or, or blurs or, or nerds, depending on what you want to put it. We're all both gamers, and we are dealing with the aspect of now as we, as the so I say, younger generation that's coming into psychology, do see 
games and video games as part of our mechanism of use when it comes to therapy. I know I was uh, a long time ago when I was talking to my supervisors, like, yeah, I'm putting PlayStation in my office when I finally can, because I feel that's a way to use it. And there, uh, some of them were saying, oh, that you can do that with your own office. Others were sort of scoffing. It's like, it has no place. It, it divides. And for some cases it does. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's so interesting because, you know, uh, I had a re- in, res- in my wrestling room, locker room, we had a, we had an N64 mm-hmm. and we would play right before practice. And um, I used to get so anxious uh, before practice, before matches. But like when we played, it was just, it was so fun. Uh, forgot about all the anxieties. And then we just go straight into practice. And I didn't have that. I guess you can say stewing of anxiety mm-hmm. that went in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I had much better practices. And so I, th- I think, uh, you know, I also worked, uh, you know, in the boys ranch, you know, with uh, probation um, youth and, and, you know, we, we would have, you know, music, you know, music as, as a way to s- set the stage. Um, even um, uh, Beck, as uh, it, uh, of the CBT kind of Beck Beck CBT to there's a YouTube video. Could you, could you expand on that just in case anyone who doesn't know what CBT is or who Uh, Beck is? Right. Um, So Beck, uh, I guess you could say, so CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. And uh, I guess you could say it's like one of the more like researched um, therapies and so Beck is, I guess, kind of recognized as like father of cognitive mm-hmm. therapy. Um, and so, you know, I, was, I also work with like some patients with schizophrenia symptoms. And so I was looking up YouTube videos um, uh, that where he would talk about working with clients with schizophrenia symptoms who are hospitalized. He talked about one therapist um, who started the session listening to music and playing video games, building that rapport, building that therapeutic alliance, and then having a conversation about, you know, what were your kind of childhood dreams or what kind of things you always wanted to do. And, and the goal there was kind of cognitive restructuring mm-hmm. in, in a way that, you know, you, you wouldn't even guess that it was happening. And so I, I think that's a misconception of what, CBT is supposed to be is like here here's the father of it saying we use music we use video games we ask this like nice kind of question exploring around what they want um and it's really client-centered it's it's uh not really directive you might think oh cognitive restructuring like I'm going to sit there I'm going to challenge your thoughts I'm going to argue with you and debate you that's not what happened at all he he um saw this person as a person, asked them, well, what, what were your goals? You know, what would you want to do? They didn't use even the word goal. It's like, what'd you want to do as a kid? And, and the patient client talks about how he, I think, wanted to be a mechanic, you know, he's like, I always want to be a mechanic. And, you know, but I, I could just never like see through those tiny little pipes and I couldn't like get to the screws. And so the therapist just asked like, well, have you ever had your eyes checked? Guy's like, no, I've never had my eyes checked. Guy's eyes checked. Turns out he needed glasses. 
Uh, turns out a lot of his, um, you know, kind of defiance, defiant behaviors kind of resulted from like feeling really inadequate and not being able to like kind of fulfill these, um, you know, bigger goals. And so, um, you know, that's, that's what we're all trying to do is we're trying to create that stage and that relationship for them to open up to, to feel safe enough to kind of uh, reveal these things and, and kind of find, find their path and for us to help them get there. So just before we go to break, and I would love to have more time for this one, what are you seeing when we try to talk about video game play with older clients? So adults, maybe in seniors, like you said, your father's gotten a very good interest in um, World of Warcraft, I'm assuming, and Starcraft, Starcraft and Blizzard. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So what are you also seeing when it comes to video game play with more adults as opposed to just kids? Well, um, you know, here the research, there's actually a lot of research going like Google Scholar. Um, and I actually heard about a lot of this stuff uh, in, in grad school. Um, you know, when working with veterans, um, they, with, with PTSD uh, symptoms, uh, there was one research study done with veterans and who would play Call of Duty. And uh, they, they would get kind of activated or somewhat triggered uh, by like the, you know, driving by in the, the Humvee with the burning gas. And, and then they, they kind of have those sensory experiences. Um, but then there was enough distance for them to actually utilize the kind of uh, self-regulation, like deep breathing uh, skills taught, taught in therapy. And so it, it was therapeutic in, in that sense. And I think in my, my guess is you can definitely structure it uh, better with adults too, like there's more of an intention. I think, you know, there's one where women had agoraphobia, I think huge fear of spider, fear of spiders, uh, didn't want to go out into the woods. And so they had her um, hooked up to a VR headset where she would like kill a spider in the game. And then she got to the point where she overcame her fear of spiders. She was able to go hiking in the woods. So I think the benefit there is you, you could really drive home um, just the goal or, or the intention of what a person is trying to do in therapy there. Where, whereas maybe with kids, it's a lot. To me, it sometimes feels like improv. I'm just like, all right, what are we going to have today? And then I'm going to, I'm going to work with uh, what's given to me there. All righty. I think that's a good place for us to take a break. Mm-hmm. So we'll be back shortly with Monet Goldman. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. 
visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. And welcome back. We're here talking with Monet Goldman, a therapist in the San Francisco Bay Area who has been, uh, who is very skilled at doing video game play. But we're going to switch gears slightly here and talk about another element of uh, Monet and also something that I share with him is both being both men in the therapy field as well as being men who have, who have a BIPOC, which is Black Indigenous People of Color representation in this field. So I know when I approached you to, to be on this, this was sort of a new experience that you hadn't expected someone to talk about with you. So what are your thoughts as you think about what it means to be a man in this field, as well as a man representing uh, another nationality, since, let's be frank, much of therapy that we know today was built around the white Euro model? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think your your question really made me reflect on a lot of things I, I felt I needed to bury, actually, to kind of... I guess you could say survive or navigate the system, the mental health system. Uh, of course, now that I'm licensed, I have my own private practice. I'm free to say whatever I want. So it's very liberating. And now I kind of get to, um, I guess, flex, flex my ideas a bit. Um, so, you know, I think starting out, right. You know, often I, I felt pressure to focus in medicine or engineering and, you know, being a therapist was, you know, not something that, you know, men were supposed to do. Um, so as I kind of got into this field, uh, I did start to um, hear a lot of uh, prejudices, you know, and um, in, in some ways it feels tough even talking about it because in a patriarchal society, it's really, you know, not many spaces where, um you know, men are <laughs> cut out. And so in therapy, men are, are really, you know, represented that well, at least how we want to do therapy. Um, so it did kind of make me feel nervous, but um, I also have a lot of, um, you know, colleagues who, who are, um, you know, white and white females. So, um, you know, I think some of them will understand, of course, uh, I think, for the most part, it just felt indicative of maybe the problem, the fact that I didn't feel perfectly comfortable uh, talking about it. Um, so I think maybe I could start like just in undergrad itself. Um, you know, if, if you're a psychology student, you probably realize by now that, you know, you're one of, you know, in a classroom of 30, you're, you might be the only guy in there. 
And uh, there's one day where the professor uh, just kind of asked the whole class, but really focused on the guys, the two guys, me included, say, okay, well, not to put the guys on the spot here, but, you know, who it do really you think? was. Yeah. Who, who do you think's, uh, you know, a better therapist, men or women? And I just, um, I just did not understand uh, how to even answer that truthfully. Um, and it's just, just along the ways, you know, it's just, I mean, I've heard people say uh, men don't have the emotional capacity to be a therapist. Um, I've even had clients that worked with other female therapists who told them that, you know, they're working with a male therapist and the female therapist might go like, ew, why would you want to do that? So it's really, um, you know, I think it did affect me early on as I was trying to, you know, build my own confidence within um, the art of therapy. So I always kind of felt like I had to second guess myself where I had to double check with, you know, uh, you know, another female therapist. But I, I think um, the systemic issue uh, became really inherent um, when I was working at, at an agency. And, um, you know, all, most of our clients were, um, you know, uh, BIPOC men and boys. So I just asked, hey, where's, where's the men of color group? You know, why don't we have um, a group for men to just talk about the kind of racism they're surrounded by and the difficulties navigating that. And the other um, male supervisor was like, you know, that's a great question. And the problem is, you know, the leadership are all white women. And so they don't even see it. They don't even know it's something that needs to be presented. And so that's kind of when I started to realize, okay, like this, this is, and I think um, after the George Floyd, uh, you know, the protests, I think a lot of, uh, you know, companies have tried to create that space and that channel, um, but there's always a barrier. And so I think un until there's actually, you know, people, men, men of color, BIPOC men uh, in, in those areas to, to put those ideas out and, and be able to carry them out. Uh, it's going to be hard. I, I, I did have a, I do have a friend. He's, um, you know, BIPOC male clinician as well, working in a eating disorder clinic. And he was just looking at the website. It's like, Hey, it's all like young white women. Like where, what about, what about my people? What about people, other men out there who struggle with eating disorders? Like, this is why we're not able to help them or reach out to them is because they're not feeling welcome when they go onto our website. And so thankfully uh, the CEO listened and they, they changed, you know, that, but it's just, there's all these little blind spots and it, it takes a lot of courage for, um, for the therapist to kind of speak out there. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, there might be retribution of sorts. So, you know, it's always a risk, but it's, it's good to take that risk. Which is also counter to the idea that we bring ourselves as the tools mm -hmm. that are doing therapy with us when we are working with clients. And just that aspect, as you said early on, is like before you got to be licensed, like myself, you have felt like you had to keep a, yourself diminished 
Mm-hmm. And that's not good for you as a person, man, being out in the world, let alone what does that also mean that you're bringing in with your clients, mm-hmm. especially in those moments where, yeah, you are identifying with them, but it just can't be recognized. Because especially because we can't put it in the notes, mm-hmm. let alone how is that a way that is also healing for the client to realize, yeah, I'm going through it too, and they're not alone in this. Mm-hmm. So... What about also from this perspective of being, because I know you mentioned that, yeah, the idea was you're supposed to be a doctor or an engineer as uh, someone who has an Asian API or Asian Pacific identity. What does it mean for you to be going away from the gold standard of engineering and medicine to being a therapist? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it was a tough road. Yeah, I I did not get much support, but, um, you know, I think having to pursue wrestling because, you know, re- wrestling was not something really supported either as seen as a distraction from my studies, but I just kind of knew in my heart, like, this is what spoke to me. This is what I need to do. Um, and, and I think it's, I mean, it's, it's super important now with all the um, anti Asian, anti API uh, violence, uh, you know, happening, uh, especially with COVID. Um, so I, I think being able to reach out, connect uh, has, has been helpful. Um, you know, I also speak Japanese too. So I've been able to uh, work with Japanese families, Japanese speaking families, uh, kind of understand, you know, some of the cultural elements, you know, the uh, variables that play too. But, um, you know, I, I think growing up, if I reflect, it, it was kind of hard to understand why I struggled. And then, you know, I had a, a my wrestling coach and Japanese high school teacher. He he was also half Japanese, half white. And, you know, you kind of explained maybe, you know, what, what the discrimination was like for him. He, he actually was the national champion in wrestling in um, Japan, I think in the nineties, but the, uh, the laws there, the racism, racist laws there, prevented him from representing Japan uh, because his, his father was, was white and his mom was Japanese. And so, um, but thankfully it's, it's different now. I mean, now you look at the Olympics 2021, you got a lot of um, half Japanese, half, half white, uh, you know, uh, Japanese uh, judo players winning gold, uh, Aaron mm-hmm. Wolf. He's actually from uh, my mom's hometown, um, so that was really interesting. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's hard to explain in, in something you can't exactly learn in a book or in a two-hour, you know, CEU class. Um, so I, I think us as the tool, the therapist is the therapy, you know, and, and, and doing my own work on that to, you know, help support our clients. That's, that's I think, my goal. Well, I think we're definitely going to have to have a part two for this conversation in the future. What do you think to that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to. All righty. So in this last bit, we're going to go into what I hope to be a continual staple, which is the myth and realities. So what would you say from your perspective and experience is a myth and reality around mental health? I think that there's a huge myth that like you have to be, there has to be something wrong with you to be in therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think therapy can be, 
can be something uh, more of a catalyst for change, something to help you jump mm-hmm. levels. Um, and, and it's really powerful because sometimes you come into a session and you uh, talk about things you didn't even recognize were, were say like traumatic or, or, you know, impactful. And then you're there in the room and you mm-hmm. have a therapist to kind of validate that kind of highlight its impact. And you just mm-hmm. kind of like surprised, like, Oh, wow, I guess that actually did affect me. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, great uh, surprises there that, that can really help you unpack. I think, um, you know, I would say if you've never been in therapy, absolutely give it a chance. I mean, you, you don't really have anything to lose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen Sean Chi in the Ten Rings? Oh, now I'm glad you brought that up because that's a huge win. Mm-hmm. It's a huge win. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have not seen it, but I, I'm definitely planning to. So believe me, as I was sitting there watching that, it's like, oh, there's there's a point where we can sit down and have therapy. There's someone we need to sit down and have therapy. Yeah. But that mo the, the the shall we say the stoic Asian or API entity, that's another one of those that sort of hits against that standpoint that something has to be wrong with you to have therapy. I know what comes up in the African American community, we've got pretty much plenty of issues, but like from the Asian standpoint, the sense of that stoicism. Is there a way that's also its own form of what we're talking about? Oh, 100%. Um, but yeah, there's just so much shaming around what kind of emotions you're allowed to show and have. Mm-hmm. Um, boy. Um, yeah, I, I think there's just such a flood of, uh, I mean, just memories, but also just um, things I could say to that. Um yeah, it's, it's really, I think that's also where stereotypes come in on like, say, multicultural counseling mm-hmm. of like stereotypes of like what, how you're supposed to work with an Asian family. And it's like, well, I mean, they can access emotions too. It's just maybe they've just been shamed or there's just been uh, a lot of abuse. Um, you know, it, it's funny. I, I try to find research on, you know, say like couples counseling with, um, you know, Asian, Asian couples and it's just no, no research being done. Um, you know, so, so a lot of our assumptions aren't even backed by research. They're just still kind of backed loosely by stereotypes, uh, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's definitely going to be part of our part two conversation. And then, then you take that and throw in the video game standpoint to it as well. I mean, one th- and that's probably one of the things we have to talk about is how video games have also played their role in couples therapy. Mm. I don't know if you want to talk about that or know somebody who does, but that's another area we can be looking at since, again, we're dealing with the generations now who have existed and grown up with video games as being a part of that. So that's another topic. But in the meantime, where can folks find you to be able to, if they want to talk more about some of these topics? Yeah. So my uh, website is www.videogamecounseling.com. Uh, if you just search my name, Monet Goldman, Video Game Counseling, it should come up. Uh, I also have um, you know, a YouTube channel, so feel free to subscribe as I start uploading videos. Um, I also have an email list. But I, I think you know, just conversations with you, Perry, are really make me think about maybe even doing my own podcast online. And uh, it's, it's just such a great 
medium to, you know, share your ideas. So, um, you know, feel, feel free to uh, send me an email, you know, you can definitely find all that information on, on my website. Yeah. Definitely. And we'll put as many of those in the show notes as possible for people to find you. And uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on here and talk about this stuff with me. And I definitely look forward to our part two conversation, which we'll have down the line. Yes, absolutely. Always happy for a part two. Thanks for having me on, Perry. Not a problem. So, folks, this is Untangling Knots, um, Freeing Minds and Souls, uh, Untethered, on the Voice of America Network. So tune in again for my next podcast. It'll be coming out within two weeks as we have another interesting guest talking about the world of therapy, mental health, as well as being BIPOC and so much more in this world. Thanks. See you soon. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.